Welcome to all my relations, friends. We're super happy to have you here and to see you, your faces on Zoom, and to have you a part of this call today. Uh, today we're discussing our work as artists, our relationship with art, the art world. We were trying to think of a way to um, do introductions that felt more kind of grounded in the work that we want to talk about uh, than just having you all say like who you are and where you're from. We also wanted to talk about the the reason behind the work that we do as creatives, as artists, whatever it is. So Mantika and I were talking about um, this before the call and thinking about like, I am a writer um, and I am a podcaster and I am a storyteller in those ways. And the reason I do it and the reason I spend so much time thinking about it is because I believe that telling our stories in real and authentic ways matters um, and that that can create actual change in the world and the way that people see us. Um, and so that's what grounds me in this work and like keeps me going in terms of all of the the str daily strife of trying to be a writer, be a um, podcaster, be a academic is that I believe in the power of our voices. So if we could have each of you uh, kind of talk about who you are and that sort of reason behind the work that you do. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ho, Adrian. Uh, my name is Ryan Redcorn. <laughs> I am from Pahuska, Oklahoma, in the Wahakalini District, and I am Osage. I make stuff. I make uh, photos. I do graphic design for folks and myself. I make films. I have now written plays, co-wrote plays. I wrote songs in that play. I... Mm -hmm. I'm now doing a podcast with you guys. <laughs> I don't think that makes me a podcaster, but I, I don't know. I just keep making stuff. I've made poems. I'm running out of things that I've made, but I've I just I just make stuff. I'm also a dad, so I made some kids. <laughs> Maker of babies. I make Maker I make babies. babies. I'm bringing our nation back almost single-handedly <laughs> because. I don't know what Holly's situation is, but I know that I've made more children than most of the people on this podcast <laughs> combined. <laughs> and you make um, you make the movies for the 1491s too. Yes, I'm probably the funniest one. The, the other guys, they they won't admit that. Um, they're, they're they're kind of really jealous. So in case they ask, just know that that's what they're probably gonna. Um, contest that statement mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> could you tell us a little about why it is that you make all the makings you know before I had kids I made the makings because I was pissed off and I didn't like the state of the world and now that I have kids I'm still pissed off about the state of the world but I'm pissed off on their behalf because this is the world that they're inheriting mm -hmm. so you know hopefully the things that I make um, they see themselves in, and so maybe it will help to um, ground their self-esteem and um, 
provide them a larger palette to imagine a, a world in. Hopefully. They're very clever. Your kids have conned me into getting them candy on, on multiple yes. accounts. Yeah. Yes. Well, <laughs> like, like me, they descended from a long line of politicians, salesmen, and preachers. And so uh, <laughs> it, it, it makes total sense that they would be able to uh, <laughs> get whatever they wanted from you <laughs> by virtue of how they do that to every adult besides me in their entire life. <laughs> Yadika? Okay, away. I mean, uh, Maro, thank you for letting me be here uh, on your guys' platform, all my relations. I'm a listener uh, to you guys' beautiful work and conversations, and I'm always inspired to hear um, the words and, and sentiments that come from it when I listen. Especially the last one with Kim was amazing. Uh, I love Kim. She's such a rad person and doing fantastic work. and. Uh, a person, you know, I aspire to, uh, to kind of uh, emulate in a way when it comes to uh, social work to help out communities. Um, just to plug that in there real quick, but my name is Jataka Starfields. I'm Osage Cherokee and Creek from Oklahoma, born in Tulsa. And currently I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I've been a part of the Tulsa Artist Fellowship for the last four and a half years. And in that four and a half years, uh, my, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a painter. That's my main practice. But I think in the last five years, my work has shifted. I still paint quite a bit, but now it's kind of evolved more so to be more with like social practice, working with communities. Uh, here and there, we're working with sculptural works and installation pieces. Just doing more works that can incorporate uh, the understandings of, of what's going on, what's in our culture socially and politically. Uh, to how I can expand that further than just on the canvas. And a big part of the, the, the program that I'm in and, and processes that I'm seeking is, is to really uh, utilize um, collaborations and networks within the community, especially the indigenous community of Oklahoma, which, which to me artistically I feel like is really spread out. And I kind of want to kind of create like a cohesive network of, 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 of new language, of new understanding um, and platforms so we can be stronger as a whole and unified to kind of do something to kind of make something more worthwhile that can have more effect in the long term, whether that's bringing more artists in from outside to create public artworks, to diversify the landscapes and, and, and things like that, you know, um, in a nutshell, I'm just really trying to kind of diversify Oklahoma landscape that I see where it's needed but i'm a painter and i still practice that often and commissions and doing works and exploring new conversations that i feel like needs to be discussed as a painter i from from what i've learned from when i started to now i've learned quite a bit and i'm still learning and it's it and it's, it's a medium that you're always going to be learning from you're always going to be a student of art you're never going to fully understand it or grasp it but what you get is you gain all these beautiful bits and jewels and information of it to incorporate into your next piece that you make and in doing so i figured out how to use my color but also how to challenge myself whether that's painting figuratively or really expanding the dialogue and how to blend that in there through compositions but make people think in, in new ways and new realities to kind of get dialogue across 
in a visual way. Um, so it's never ending and it's always fun for me. And I'm thankful that I have a, a good platform and network to work from that believes in me. And, and with that, I understand that. And I totally want to give back um, and uplift other artists um, that could use a platform or that need recognition too. Because, you know, as, as we see now in the world that we're living and, and the way people of color have been treated and, and the way our words are needing to be heard, you know, well, that, I think that's the same for indigenous artists as well. You know, we're here now and I think um, we've come a long way as a people. You know, so there's still so much more effort that we need to put in there. Um, and and as you guys all know, too, and I've seen that all you guys as well do in, in, your, in, your, in your modes of work is that we uplift people, mm-hmm. you know, in, 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 in an artistic, whether that's scholarly or literally or in film or, or whatever, you know, we're Indigenous people. And, and we grew up in a way to where traditionally and whatnot that, that we help people. You know, we look out for each other, for our people. And, 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 and arts, that's the same thing. It's kind of what I'm doing as well. So, but every day is a new conversation. Every day we learn something new. There's a new hill to climb, a new challenge to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. cross over and figure out. And I love that. I, I love the problem solving in it. And so right now, even though the tumultuous time we're in, it's just like full throttle, hands on deck. And I'm like, let's solve this problem. Let's solve that. How can we work together to, to you know, to get further, to bring other artists right and the ultra marathon running too i just want to acknowledge that that you've been doing that i think that's rad i've i've just like so and it's so hard for me to run at all you know like if i can get half a mile in i feel really good about it so <laughs> i'm i've been really inspired by that by that work that you've been doing also like straight up like i'm i'm in new mexico right now because i'm on my way to utah to go do a uh, 100k race in the tusher mm-hmm. mountains of utah on on saturday um now we live in COVID 19 era and there's only a few races happening with social distancing um things put in place restrictions and they're working with the state of utah there's been a few races now that have had successes no cases have evolved um and there's strict guidelines to it but when you do these ultra races i mean they take like 20 hours 15 hours 10 hours whatever depending on the distance but you're out there alone anyways and um, for me, it's just a good time to be out in the mountains and it really challenges yourself um, mentally and physically. And two, you know, it's like going back, to, I, I just want to go back to what Kim said uh, from the last podcast because I felt that was really empowering and a powerful episode uh, about wellness and the connection to your arts and craft and your body. And that is the same thing that I'm doing as well in practicing. You know, I, I became sober as well probably like five years ago. And, and with that, that change became a change of, of, of everything. You know, you have, to, you have to forgive yourself, forgive the past, move forward, and kind of just start anew, create yourself with what you've known traditionally, who you are as a person, and take away the things that worked and the things that didn't. And, and what worked for me was my art, was my competitive side of sports, whether that's cycling and whatnot. And I... Um, I really wanted to challenge myself and, and me as an artist, you know, when it came down to isolation and, and quarantining, that was, I was like fine with that because I'm a painter and I do that anyways. And when it comes to running, I'm fine with that too, because you're doing that and you're almost like meditating the whole time. And it's the same thing when you're in the studio. So the correlations between the two are perfect for me. They really challenge my body and mind. They keep me healthy. I see beautiful landscapes doing it. 
and I also imbue my arts into it. You know, like last year I was traveling around Europe doing races. And when I was done, I would paint landscapes, you know? So if I'm traveling for a race, 100%, I make sure I'm incorporating the art aspect in it too. Um, and that's perfect for me. I found something that really works with me that connects me to the earth more so and also allows me to see it and paint and capture the light and study it. Then I can go back into the studio with that knowledge and that knowledge of wellness and whatnot. And, you know, it's, we all know this life, life can be short, you know, life offers us these things here and there. We take what we want, we take what we can, we get what we need. And, and, and the ultra marathon and the running is, is, is this what I need, I guess, you know, and it found me and I found it and, um, it works for me, you know, and it's tough, but there's tougher things out there, you know, there's, um, what was tough for me, you know, before that and before the resolution of being a healthy person was it, it, it didn't work for me. You know, I'd, I'd rather hurt, hurt my, go over these, these, these hard times within myself struggles of, of pulling these deep down efforts than hurting someone through consumption of alcohol or something, you know, I'd, I'd rather put myself in, in this place of like pain and not bad pain, but just like good pain of, uh, of triumph and success rather than the opposite, if that makes any sense. But, um, but it, it's like a prayer. And as native people, I know a lot of native runners, you know, I, I'm connected to a lot of them. And as we see right now in social media and what's going on, we run for prayer. I know a lot of natives that run for prayer. And it's the same for me when I'm out there. I think about that. I think about it. Because my body, I look at it like a cog, like a bike cog. It's in motion. And when I move, I'm putting these words and feelings and energy out into the world, just like my hand when I'm painting. But that is my internal cog to push these prayers and efforts out there to help me. But I'm only one person and I can do it. I can only do what I can. And that's what I'm doing to, to, to create those efforts. Because, you know, I, I grew up in a way to where, you know, uh, you know, prayer and the connections to uh, the world in that way was important. And, and I, I have hung on to that too, because that was important. So. Thank you. And Holly. Wouldn't it be funny if I just got on and said, hi, I'm Holly Nordlum, Alaskan artist. Um, I do many things, and that was it after Yadavid. <laughs> 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 no, um, uh, like most of us, uh, Matika and uh, Ryan and Yadika as well, we kind of do everything, right? Um, I started out as printmaking and... Um, uh, now, as I'm older um, and my kids are getting older, I'm, I'm doing um, different things. My focus has changed and, and it's more about healing, which is uh, something I think um, we all work in those realms. Um, and about five years ago, I started um, traditional training to do traditional tattoos and um, even though I still do graphics, traditional tattooing up until COVID was like my, it was taking over everything. And um, now, of course, it's uh, very quiet. 
<laughs> because um, traditional tattooing is just one-on-one -on -one and, and it's really, I tried to wear a mask the other day trying to tattoo and it was just impossible. So um, I'm being very careful about who I see. And, um, but all that said, the reason I do it uh, here in Alaska is uh, for healing, um, to bring something positive to my community. And although I do Inupath and Inuit tattooing primarily, I, I've worked on many other tribes um, kind of to bring community together in a healing sense as well. So um, all the things, all, all the things everybody else was saying, I mean, I think we're all in the same umiap, uh, navigating what's going on now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's partly why we're here. While we watch the national dialogue unfold around what's happening with the coronavirus, we, um, I, I often wonder how it's affecting my community. And my community is, is in the people that I love and care about happen to be a lot of indigenous artists. And so I've really been thinking about how is this story unfolding for, for each of the makers? And are people okay? Are they staying afloat? Is there money reaching them? Is you know, like, are their families okay? How is their tribe handling? I, I just, I don't feel like there's enough information reaching us about um, what's actually happening in Indian country. So I've really been thinking a lot about that. But, you know, I wonder, Holly, um, you touched on this so briefly, you know, about the the tattooing that you're doing. Um, but could you just give us a brief overview um, before we move, continue moving in? I'm so fascinated um, by the by the reclamation work you know I, I think in a lot of ways all of us are really in a way Ryan we talked about this a little bit yesterday but you know like being indigenous and being an artist is inherently political right because because our existence is is political because we were meant to be uh, exterminated right like that was the the American policy and so I think when we ever we make art um in a sense we're reclaiming space even if that's not um even if that's not at like not how i would identify i wouldn't say my work is about reclamation but so often indigenous people have been misrepresented and like when i think of how native people have been photographed like people by people like aaron huey contemporarily or historically by people like curtis um we are not often photographed by ourselves. For me, being a photographer, there's a it's a form of reclamation to take up like spaces on the page um, when when I we get to tell our own stories or spaces in the podcast sphere telling our own stories. And and I've been super fascinated by your work with reclamation um, because it's because it I think it's very directly. Um, healing the people and and I'd like to hear you talk a little about how that how that came to pass for you how it how it's unfolding and and how it how the people are responding and then um in the same light Ryan and Yadika to touch on that idea of reclamation in your own work also yeah so reclamation um a lot of work that I do for Inuit women is tattooing the face we do other tattoos, lots of them, but the the one that really changes people is when we we do the chin or the uh, the tablagun or the 
Sukhinic tattoos, which is on the face. And, and that's like in direct opposition to the Western ideal of not just beauty, but um, the way we look and the way we walk around the world. And it, and it's, it's an everyday thing when you wear it on your face. You are um, confronted um, constantly um, with the Western society's ideals. And you have to, you know, wear them proudly. Like, uh, I've only had my tablogun, my chin tattoos for about five years. And um, I notice, like, I no longer can um, shy away from those situations. I, I also don't answer questions anymore and about what it means, um, which is a Western thing anyway. Uh, a definition that people can spout out about um, our markings, our sacred markings. Um, so yeah, th that direct opposition to society that we're living in. Um, of course, people say to me when I first got them, you're so brave. I, it was hard at first, but I always, I always replied by saying, yeah, I'm brave, but I'm, I'm not a black man in this country. That's brave. Um, Cause he, I mean, I'm, I, I have the privilege of being a small woman so I can walk around the world gently. Um, but with the tattoos, getting back to that, the reclamation of it, of just owning our bodies and um, being proud of who we are. And it really forces you to be proud of who you are. Even if you want to skirt away from situations, you, you can't anymore. So there's like a uh, very, it's, it's almost forced. And, um, you know, I don't, I always try to make sure when somebody comes in, especially very young, um, that they realize the commitment they're making because I, I don't think everybody realizes what a big change in your life that um, having markings on your face will make. Mm. Um, but it is a real statement uh, to your commitment to your community and um, something you have to carry and you can't put it down when you want to, even, even if you really want to, you mm. um, it really forces it every day, all day long. Um, and I appreciate that about the the power of the markings. Mm -hmm. um, so th that kind of reclamation of even the way we look and, and what we present to the world is, is a powerful one for me. And um, I got into tattooing because I wanted them um, and I wanted to do them in a traditional way. Uh, and I was able to find funding and find somebody to train us and, um, was lucky enough to be able to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, you know, I hadn't actually, I didn't grow up seeing people with tattoos on their faces or the traditional markings, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, it would have been traditional. I don't know what it's like out there in um, Osage country or, uh, but you know, here it, it would have been traditional, but it was made illegal at the turn of the century. And so, um, just, in, you know, in a similar way that ceremonies were made illegal and it was illegal for more than five Indians to congregate on the water in the same way that it was illegal for Native people to be in a canoe. You know, it it, um, 
it's taken many years to try to 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 sort of like reconnect ourselves to those traditional practices and so I think whenever I meet somebody who has um, who has made that commitment I have it's like I have a whole different uh, level of respect <laughs> you know it's like instantly for me when I encounter an indigenous woman you know that has made that commitment I'm like oh oh dang anti-status you know like I better behave <laughs> you know <laughs> and, like, and so like that's like the, the way that I the way that I feel about it I know um, with some people that I've interviewed and photographed they've had um you know, they talk about the transition for them and, and it's been a really, um, I think it's a really important and powerful, uh, like role that you're playing right now. And I'm really excited about it and really glad that you're here to, to share that story. So, yeah. And I didn't even mention that when I sit down to tattoo somebody, it's just me and the person and there's no machine between us. So it's just time. Are you doing like, are you doing the, yeah, it's hand poking, so it's dot by dot, and then I do some skin stitching, um, which is the like the oldest way, you know, stitching through the skin. Um, but when I'm sitting there, I've done um, some like uh, learning to counsel, not necessarily counsel, just listen better. So mm -hmm. it becomes a therapy session um, often, even oh, when it's laughter the whole time we're working through some stuff um and that that part is so rewarding uh, how you can sit with somebody and hear their story uh and and maybe they've never had a chance to to say it out loud to somebody and and they get this opportunity to kind of put it all out there uh, to somebody who's not going to judge them uh, and that's something else uh, me and the girls, the team, has been working on is how can we better um, help the healing process when we're sitting there one-on-one. -on -one. The tattoos do the work when they leave, but how do we do it while we're sitting there working through their stuff? And um, that's something we've been focusing on the last few years as well is become, becoming better listeners, having resources for people when they need them, uh, and, and just being a facilitator of the healing that needs to happen. That's beautiful. I love that. Go ahead, Redcorn. Oh, what do you want me to talk about now? You, when you introduced yourself, you said you make all these things, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that you, do, you have an advertising agency called Buffalo Nickel Creative. You are doing graphic design and you're running ad campaigns, you're doing PSAs, you're making films, multiple films. And so, you know, like, I don't know that you gave yourself enough credit when you introduced yourself, but I do feel like you are one of the only Indigenous-owned advertising agencies in the country. You know, I don't know very many myself. I, I'm sure that somebody will tell me after this about yeah, all of the ones that, the I, that I didn't will mention. <laughs> the internet will tell yeah. me, but <laughs> will make sure to correct me. I know. I think but, there's uh, three total. I think there's three. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think I do see that as an act of reclamation. And, and do you, you know, and, and how does that how does that working for you? I mean, as far as ad agency stuff goes. Um, or photography or filmmaking. Yeah. But I mean, all of it is kind of like, there's two things operating there. One is that there's non-Indians that have been doing this work for a really long time. 
and mm-hmm. uh, it turns out they're not very good at it. <laughs> and so, and so <laughs> if you show up, even if you're like mediocre at it, you're better than the non-Indians that are doing that are taking this work from native people. And that doesn't matter if it's in design, if it's marketing, if it's in photography, if it's in so mm-hmm. many other spaces, you can just go on down the line. Filmmaking, um, their uh, constant lensing of our community on their own behalf um, is more times than not so far off base then Mm -hmm. it just makes this type of work, it makes you immediately palatable if you're talking Mm -hmm. on behalf of yourself, which probably means you're talking on behalf of the community. That doesn't mean that we should settle for mediocre work in our own community, which I think we do sometimes. And across -hmm. across the fields, I think sometimes we settle for mediocrity. For Palatino. Yeah. It just... Mm -hmm. we. Um, I mean, for myself, um, like what Yadika said, I'm very competitive and I don't know, I, I, I don't think that's just an Osage thing, but I think at least among our own community, <laughs> Osage has invented competition. I don't know if people know this or not. <laughs> we, we, we actually invented games. Everybody's games. Oh yeah. No, yeah. No, um, <laughs> but there is a, there is a prevailing, um, sentiment that I've noticed that's in our community that maybe like everybody, every, every community has their own thing that they maybe prioritize over other things. And, um, in our community, there is like a, a, um, I don't know, like an expectation of being put together and Mm. an expectation of bringing your best to what you do. We, there's a saying we have called washcon. It means do your best. It, it um, and they say that to us, and um, they people expect that to be exhibited in almost every. No matter what you do, they expect that to be what you do. And um, I try to bring that to the, the different things that I I work in, whether that's agency work, photo work, video work, um, writing, whatever it is. I I try to bring my best and um that's every time I do it it's not just one time and that means getting better and better and better at what you do um for the families that are from around here like Yadika and I's family we we were put into a lot of our ways like early on and Mm -hmm. that that education that you receive at three, four, and five-year-old is different than the one you receive as an eight, nine, ten. And then you learn more stuff when you're in your teens, early 20s. And I feel like there's still things that I'm learning now. So, like, when you have that kind of really long-term view of, of a craft, of a thing, of a um, any type of process that you're involved in, you always understand and have the expectation that there is more that you could learn. There's more that you could refine. There's a, there's a higher level at which you could reach. And it doesn't. So for me, if, if, if I move between these different mediums, it doesn't 
matter if I'm stationed in one for any extended period of time I'm always trying to get better and better and better at it I don't know if I'll succeed there's things that I'm just like everybody they're naturally better at things that I always feel like I wanted to be in the NFL or the NBA and uh God made sure that that didn't happen when I stopped at five eight, <laughs> and um, gave me like I a at five. Gave, gave me like a fifteen percent chance that my jumper was going to go in. That pretty much sealed the deal <laughs> on that. But it doesn't it it doesn't mean that I didn't try <laughs> to to uh, be good at those things. It just means it wasn't in the cards. But like that type of um, attitude, I try to bring it to every single thing that I work on. Um, I think, I think that in and itself is reclamation, um, because most, you know, if if you're subjected to like bullcrap films and bullcrap photography, and that's how you're represented, that's how you see yourself in the world, then I think that's going to diminish your desire to enter that space. It's going to diminish your desire to even be good at that space because you see all of the um, positions of power within it are are not assigned to you and Mm -hmm. um, the access isn't there. Um, It's also not incumbent on the Indian community to uh, require people to better themselves. Mm. That's not our job. You know, if, if these larger media entities want to better themselves, that's, that's their job. Um, only as a community, I guess we can just try to do the best work that we possibly can and hope that that's enough for our own people um, mm-hmm. or it, it's enough for ourselves. Um, and at least our community, that's they would say something like that. They would say, well, you just do the best that you can do. And if you did the best, then that's all that you could do. There was nothing you could have done above and beyond that if you did your best. So, um I kind of just, that's just how I feel about that. And I try to apply that to everything. Mm. Oh. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> oh. 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 I have spoken. on this which is something that we um, wanted to talk about and Yadika I'll go to you first with this one is um, is this idea of power dynamics of like the the non-native folks the predominantly white folks who are kind of in control of the media and art world and um, I'd love to hear a little bit more from y'all about how you think about those power dynamics and the ways that you're trying to subvert them through your work um, and how having non-natives in control of these spaces um, affects the work that you are able to create and want to create. So, Yadika, I'll go to you first. So much, so much in that question. Um, but they but they all work with within each other it's about changing the narrative mm-hmm. you know i mean so many 
uh, these white you know institutions have held on to this ideology and this structure that has held people back you know that has had you know racial oppression and prejudices um you know <laughs> since since the start of since the start of many states and statehoods uh since the start of this country 400 years of colonization you know it's been institutionalized and we've known about it but up until this point we have we haven't been as fed up with it you know we've always been fed up with it we always talked about it at dinner tables but there's always been a, a, a fear-based uh understanding of it too don't speak out too harshly or you're going to be criticized you'll be ostracized or you're going to get beat up by the cops you're going to get arrested well all that because you know what we're speaking out and you know ftp and 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 we're done with it you know this is our time one life to rise up and say the truth speak up about who we are what we want how we want to be represented how we see ourselves as human beings you know john trudell said it best in a lot of his songs and, you know he was right on a lot of these native activists in the past have said the same thing we are human beings we are the real people we are stewards of this land and this land that all these institutions are on that have trained white people and native people through boarding schools and whatnot how to be you know we've suffered we're on trauma it's trauma time right now but not anymore you know this is where we come in as artists tattooers filmmakers podcasters photographers design studios you know you name it if you're native and you got this craft let's rise up let's teach others because we're trying to switch and change the narrative of who we are and and that's how we do this we got to come together we got to solidify these messages and these solutions and come together stronger mm -hmm. um because it's going to take a lot of solidarity and you know these these white people that want to help with us they're our allies and they're they are in these positions and they have been standing up and they have been in the last few months we we know who they are you know and we know the ones that aren't obviously you know we're seeing everything <laughs> right now so you know i mean i'm not i'm not one to call anyone out and that's not my thing you know it's, it's everyone has their own opinion on that but it, i mean it's just straight up the truth is out there we're on such a high high profile social media platform where everything is visible and if you want to help that's great because it's it's not wrong to help it's just right you know this is <laughs> human beings and oppression we're talking about it's the erasures of native peoples and past and, and we're changing the, the dynamic of that because we are trying hard for the younger people. What we're doing now isn't really for us or the people ahead of us. You know, it is, yeah, but it's for the young ones like Ryan's daughters and, and the younger people, Matika, and, and, and your child, you know, for them to rise up and, and be raised in a way where they don't have to deal with all the you know, where they can grow with a strong heart and, and, and reality of how people of color can be treated but the people that are going to lead that are the people with visions and these are the creative people okay. you know these are the people that can see past and strategize and how to come together and it's going to take everyone and it's going to take the white allies in these institutions and places because sadly we still live in a world where that's how it operates and it will you know but we have to not just be so upset where we can't do things, but we got to work at it strategically and we need allies and we need, and we need to use the word solidarity and we need to come together as a grouping of all people to really conquer and, and find and fight these, these ways that we've been fighting for so long to get our art form across 
to allow space, reclamation for younger artists to feel comfortable in, to create, to get inspired, to gain skill sets, to make the work that is necessary for them to feel successful and succeed. And we got to keep going full throttle. So Full throttle ahead. We're going to name this episode full throttle. <laughs> definitely. I, definitely. You know, I love that. I, I love that you talk about solidarity and, you know, like just saying it like it is like we need allies, especially in these institutions. I'd be, you know, Adrian, I'd be really interested in hearing from you about how this is for you, because, you know, you're everybody knows, you know, like you're in a predominantly white institution, especially with the powers that be. And, you know, it's like, how do you um, do the research or, you know, like in which ways is your work impacted, you know, by by the power dynamic? <laughs> I mean, the more question is, which ways is it not impacted by the power dynamic? I think, unfortunately, like the challenge of doing work within institutions rather than like outside of it is that you are very constrained by the power structures that exist. And it's hard to continue to do the work that subverts those uh, structures that have been in place, you know, since Brown's been open since 1770 something. Um, So they're clearly pretty entrenched in their ways but it is like we have so few native faculty on campus um so it is really those relationships with non-native faculty who care deeply about this and are doing really good work um that can help us to build the indigenous studies program that we want to um it's the native folks who've come before me who were able to lay that groundwork for me so my path is easier and I don't have to be the first um so a lot of those things that Yadika was saying like really resonate where and now I kind of feel like now is the time like with the state of the world we're seeing that these institutions have not served us um and are not serving us and will not serve us until they change. And so uh, I think we're at a moment where even really entrenched institutions are starting to question things or see the change. Um, so now might be the time to like push even harder to to make that change from within. But I've always thought that like I have to have two lives. I have to have the life of work that I do within the university and that's mostly protecting and serving students in the ways that I can and then the life outside of it that is my creative work that is the podcast that is the blog that is the writing um, because those are very different worlds um, and they aren't recognized by each other which is what it is. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Ryan? Hmm. Um. Also, you you also don't have to answer every question if you're like, oh no, they said everything. That's fine. That's fine too. Well, well, um, the the question was centered around power, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I I think um, there's a part of this social movement that's that's active right now that maybe. So <clears throat> most of this, most of my clients and most of this work on a day-to-day basis when there's not an active social uprising, when there's not people in the streets, is being done by nonprofits um, and sometimes community leaders um, in small, smaller rural cultural spaces 
that's a regular occurring thing. Um, if you take a larger scope and look at what people have started to refer to as the nonprofit industrial complex, um, where this, these, these two things, these two larger entities, they start to be connected to each other, and they almost um, become so insulated that they, uh, def- they're in certain ways like defending a small a status quo, a status quo, or they're defending a highly gradated version of improvement and progress. And I think um, I think part of the frustration of people that you see in the streets right now has to do with like the help help helps, but at a certain point, the help is not enough. You need power mm-hmm. and you need the power to be able to fix these things on your own mm-hmm. and I think people that possess that power and hold that power have been very reluctant to let go of it, to allow people to fix these things. There's a, there's a certain like highly overt, overt paternalism that the federal government has towards native people, but also other people as well. Um, And that gets codified and pushed into laws and policies and it, it dictates quote-unquote diversity programs <laughs> that may or may not like mostly not a big not 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 actually <laughs> doing any doing any work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it's like the lobby before the lobby mm-hmm. um and so some of these larger <clears throat> you know systemic problems they're not just located in the individual biases that people have they're located in the uh they're codified into the structure that we have to operate on and i think this this uh the voices that you hear in the street these people are tired of it mm-hmm. they're tired of it and i think if you ask my community whether they want help or they want power they would choose power mm-hmm. and you know, over the last 100 years, as the BIA and the federal government have incrementally handed over power back to tribes, when that has happened, our communities have vastly improved. Mm-hmm. They have vastly improved. Um, because those people, they might not get it right the first time, but they, at least they have the power to change it when it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's often overlooked. And so when you see people in the street right now, they're not there because they want help, you know, better training for the police. They want the power to be able to say, no, nah, this, is, this is not what we want. We want more of these resources for mental health programs. We want more resources for... Uh, housing issues which you know some of those resources aren't even like I wouldn't even qualify it as resources you need a change mm-hmm. in the law you need a change in the way that housing is um, housing codes how many how many stories can a building be you know these urban areas have a lot of, of those kind of problems and you know to be frank about it the rural communities in this country 
are even more overlooked. The, mm-hmm. the, the, rural, the rural exodus to cities has been in play for decade after decade after decade. And when you hear white people complain about the things that they complain about, uh, if they live in a rural space, they're not wrong. These rural spaces have been overlooked. And, mm-hmm. it, and you know, I live in a town of 3,500 people. It doesn't matter who's president <laughs> here. Nothing changes. The things that change here are a very, very small amount of federal law, which is hands power back to the community here, and, you know, certain Supreme Court cases. Those are the only things that change the the political ecosystem, the economic ecosystem, um, all of those different places. So I think you know, when you talk about power, um, this is a moment, this is a social moment in which people are attempting to reclaim the power that is rightfully theirs. Mm-hmm. And whether that means it's local control, whether that means it's federal oversight that's up for people to decide but obviously the system that's in fun- functioning right now is not functioning on behalf of everyone and um you know a re a redistribution of power i think will fix a lot of those issues mm-hmm. i love how you put that like the the contrast of like the help versus power i think is such an important idea that i hope like people can take away from that because and I also want to recognize what you just said at the end there about it being a reclaiming of power or even like a recognition of inherent power in communities like it's not about giving power to marginalized communities it's about reclaiming the power that is already there it's about recognizing that inherent power and I think that that is such an important distinction um about the moment we're in and if we like bring it back to those idea of institutions like we don't want help from an institution we want a recognition of the power of communities to help themselves and to Mm -hmm. uh, redistribute the power that that institution holds so thank you Mm -hmm. for saying that i think that is something i'm gonna like write down and remember (laughs) to to move forward money is great but the power to make your own is a lot better (laughs) Mm -hmm. right you also have been doing the illuminative stuff you know as of late there's like you know like the memes that have been going all over the mascot work which has been recently successful and we haven't acknowledged that on the podcast yet but that's a really big deal well uh it's i did some of the base graphic work but that that work there's no there's if anybody that you hear talk about mascots attempts to try to claim the success of what's happened in the last couple weeks uh, in any part by themselves, you should take that with a grain of salt. There Send over the so- slapping medicine man. Yeah. <laughs> Send him over. Because Send over the... the, the I mean, I've been involved off and on with this issue for 20 years. I went to school with Amanda Black Horse at KU... Um, we did work there. Um, she's, if you, if, if I, if I try to attempt to, uh, give her a large amount of credit, she will defer it to other people. 
um, there is a network of social justice activists in a variety of media, PR, academic, design, film, and even economic activists have all played a part in getting us to where we're at now. And also to not overlook the death of George Floyd as in, in its role in that. There's no like there's no way you can put this back together without acknowledging like his role in the dominoes that it knocked down on behalf of our own community. He did something, you know, whatever, you know, people are going to argue about his death and what it means for a long time. And I would just like to acknowledge the very much a straight line, like the mascot issue goes, goes through his life. Like there's no way that it doesn't. And, you know, I, I wish I didn't have to work on the mascot issue. I have so much other stuff I'd rather, I want to do Indians in outer space. I'm sick of dealing with this small little, like, it's just, we should be past this point by now. And maybe that's, maybe that's why this is happening. Like this, there's just a, it's like a snapback. Like the tension has been stretched for so long. So, so many people in the country have moved beyond that conversation and gone on with their lives. And here now, maybe the rest of the country is just now catching up. I hope mm-hmm. that's the case. And I hope it continues, people continue to catch up. I'm tired of our community trying to drag people along in this process and laboring over something that's so small that affects so many other things. Um, the work that Illuminative did and the work that Reclaiming Native Truth did, you know, that they have just 27 states in the country that don't even mention Native people in their K-12 through curriculum. That means that these brands are providing all of what everyone knows about Native people. And so by removing them, I hope that upon removing them, we can then put our attention on what's in the textbooks, what's being taught, so that we can start to replace that misinformation and perception that affects our policies, that affects our laws, that affects our judges, it affects our kids' self-esteem, it affects all these things all the way down the line. And just keep reminding people that this is for our kids. It's not about your feelings. Mm. It's not about your feelings. This is about our kids, about my kids. It's about all our all of our kids in our community and and the way that they're going to be able to perceive themselves. And so, you know, the work that Crystal Echohawk and Leah Salgado and um, First Peoples Worldwide, um, you know, from Illuminative, from all, all those groups, um, Harness. There's just a there's just a giant network and nexus of of nonprofits and social justice minded people that have brought their solidarity and concentrated with it if only for a brief shining moment um, in order to make some stuff happen that should have happened 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you for making that space, Matika, uh, for allowing that to be acknowledged and like, you know, for nothing else, let it go down in the historical record. And when people are trying to research 
what was going on, um, that they have access to these types of conversations so that, um, you know, we all know how there's been some revisionist history among our own people about what happened in the 60s and 70s. So <laughs> I, I hope that, um, you know, your, your podcast and the work that you guys do um, can uh, maybe provide a dimension that's maybe that that was maybe was missing in some of the two-dimensional ways that we have to research our past um, as contemporaries. Mm-hmm. What do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My sponsor always says a good meeting starts on time and ends on time, and we're going a little over right now. So let's let's get to the wrap it up, <laughs> Adrian. Get, let's go to the wrap it up question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so this one is the the question that I'm most excited about because I'm a total geek about indigenous futurisms, like the idea of imagining a world beyond settler colonialism like what like Ryan you mentioned that you are du- you don't want to talk about mascots you want to do Indians in space and like that's totally where my headspace is a lot of the time and you all have touched on this in so many ways with your answers so far but I would love to close out with each of you like artists and creatives have such a role in imagining the path forward and like putting the images out there, putting the the creations out there that give people the lens to reflect a different future. Um, and like Matika and I were talking about that you can't imagine Wakanda unless someone, unless you see it on the screen or someone describes it for you. Um, so I would love to hear from each of you how you kind of reflect that idea of creating a different future through your work? Like what is the future that you hope to see for your children or for the next generation? And how do you see your work as putting forth that vision? Did I ask that okay, Matika? That's perfect, yeah. I wanna answer first. Okay, so Matika Wilbur, <laughs> I am calling on you. Thanks. Um, I know. I just wanna say like, the work that I did with Project 562 was it's narrative correction work in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, there is there we're not represented in one space that represents all the tribes, of the United States. That's a terrible injustice. It should have happened 100 years ago. You know, um, there should be several books representing contemporary indigenous identity. That's indigenous people representing themselves. There isn't. And um, I took it upon myself to do that work because I felt like it was necessary when I was a teacher, right? Like when I was teaching and I was working with kids and we were always, I was teaching them about contemporary photography and I couldn't pull together enough images made by Native people. And this was pre-Instagram, you know, mind you. But I, I felt like narrative correction was a part of, of my responsibility but I don't want it to be the next generation's responsibility. I don't want my baby or Ryan's babies or Holly's babies or anybody's babies for that matter to have to spend their time and energy doing narrative correction. I think like having the freedom to to make work about Indians in space or to have the freedom to do more work like 
like it was Cara Romero is doing like with the way that she's imagining these new spaces for indigenous people and representing indigenous artists in photography, I think is so powerful. And, and I hope that this next generation of photographers um, has that opportunity. And so when I imagine a future, while there's many indigenous futures I can imagine, like I, I often talk about, imagining going through Seattle or if people spoke Lashutsi did Seattle and if if people actually pronounced it properly could you imagine you know like could you imagine um, a world where Lashutsi in this region was uh, you know the the language that was spoken I, I always think of that also and and so I hope that in as we move into the future indigenous knowledge systems and indigenous intelligence is not just like admired and respected and acknowledged as a part of a diversity and inclusion seminar, but rather integrated into daily structures. And so that's my answer. <laughs> Who wants to go next? <laughs> um, I think that's, that's, I guess I'll jump in, but I think that's beautiful, Matika, everything you said. You know, um, I have this patch on the back of this like vest that says, um, uh, and uh, the future is indigenous and you know like wearing that I, th I think that's from indigenous goddess gang actually but it, it's kind of implies everything you know about what we're doing now to change the narrative for the future behind us uh to come up and and feel comfortable in but that's in all in all facets of indigenous thinking um food sovereignty wellness um community growth and things like that um and the solidarity within tribes surrounding to kind of create like a cohesive um, place and space for us to really nurture those really important growths that, and steps that we need to take to have a future, uh, indigenous futurism that's accepting and that's different than what we're seeing today. Um, I, and, and, and what that means to me is a place where you just feel free as an indigenous person, you feel inspired, you feel loved, you, it's colorful, you know, you're proud, really, you feel proud. Um, you feel proud to be native, you feel proud to be brown and indigenous. And, and all mediums are accepted, all genders are accepted, you know, everything is accepted. What we're fighting for now is for a beautiful place at the seat of, uh, for indigenous futurism to take hold and, and, and reshape. But I think indigenous futurism, I think that changes like every decade, you know, it's in what we're doing now in 12 years, something else will step up. The younger generation will kind of change the narrative from, from here to there. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to segue from you, Matika, because everything you said was pretty right on. Mm -hmm. And then I just wanted to throw my little two cents in there on that too but the work that i'm creating is just to allow that space uh to be heard and seen so younger artists and artists can kind of see it and kind of get a feel for what i'm doing and how i'm banking and, and how we can kind of continue these conversations but kind of kick open the door and be like hey this works here this work is important this work needs to be seen and to be a leading voice to make that space clear you know um, so that's what my work is doing and, and, the, and the try and the efforts that I'm trying to put forth through my creative powers and visual powers as well. Mm -hmm.
I love I love the work that you do, Yadika. I hope one day I can have one of your pieces hanging in my house <laughs> so I could be creatively inspired by it every day <laughs> and imagine an indigenous future that's surrounded by beautiful indigenous artwork at all times. And that's what, and, and that's what we're striving for, you know, an indigenous future where there's plenty of in, indigenous murals and artists and it's a very colorful landscape, completely different than what we see now. Mm-hmm. Word. Ho- Holly? I was just uh, thinking about this and um, I've been training my oldest um, son uh, recently in tattooing and that isn't a traditional practice. Men don't work tattooers, but um, with this discussion of of men and and healing, um, that's what I hope for the next generations is a healed confident innate it's innate it's in them they come with it this pride and and power and and not be struggling um, with the things that previous generations and 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 that we struggle with Um, things like alcohol and and um, self-medication and mental health and um, a future for him my son um, that that looks healthy that looks healthy and, and prosperous, um, which is what I think we, as parents, as, as uh, tribal members, we all want. We want to be whole people and, and, and not be fighting against a system, but have a system that, <laughs> that celebrates and, and recognizes us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Red corn. <laughs> Close it up for us, red corn. Um, <clears throat> three things. Three things. I was listening to you guys talk. Um, uh, one, uh, if we're going to talk about indigenous futures and we mentioned Wakanda, I just want to <laughs> say that Wakanda is a, the word for God among all the Degiha tribes. Mm. So that's Osage, Osage, Oto, Ponca. Or, well, Oto is not Degiha, but they use it. Um, Osage, Oto, Ponca, uh, Kaw, and Quapaw people. Even my Osage name has that in it. It's Wakantia. Um, and they, the, that comic book stole all that Wakantonka from one of these Bureau of Ethnology books when they made the, the novel that the Comic books based stuff. Okay, that was number one. <laughs> number two, um, about what Matika said about everybody speaking um, that language in that region, um, I've I've kind of just come to think that, you know, uh, when the when the money's gone here, all the people are leaving. Some of them will probably stay, but you're talking about so many people in this country move around on the basis of money and uh when it's gone they will go they'll go to another country or they'll go to another place and so i do think it's possible you know in the, as an indigenous future it's easy it's easy for me to imagine a situation where our languages our indigenous languages become the dominant regional languages of those spaces um because the resources eventually they'll run out, the money will run out, and the people will move on. 
and you'll be left with the people who were never going to move on. They were going to stay right where they're at. Um, the third thing that I want to add is that um, when the the value, the intrinsic value of an indigenous future narrative is the ability for indigenous people in indigenous stories to provide indigenous centric solutions to real world problems, problems that everybody knows. That's the biggest contribution that I think indigenous people can Mm -hmm. make to the, to the, to everyone in the entire, on the, in the entire globe. We have a way of viewing the world. We have a, a way of providing, um, answers to problems that have faced humanity for a long time and those solutions in many time in many cases have proven to be very effective very worthwhile and maybe the most efficient for long-term balance and sustainability and respect and just keeping good feelings between people and you know those those types of things and i think um you know if, if we're going to provide uh, if we're going to be able to imagine a future in which our world is better for our kids, then it's us, it's up to us as creators to make space for those indigenous solutions to be seen. Because right now, a lot of them they're they're unseen, even sometimes to our own people. Mm. So as as we create, we're creating time. In a podcast, you're creating space in a film. You're taking up space in photography, like all of these different mediums, and painting, and creating this this narrative that exists around it. Um, I think it's incumbent upon us to provide a space for indigenous solutions to to not only get a foothold to be, but to be amplified, to be accelerated, to be built upon, because um, they're not stagnant either. They're just things, they're just ways that have been provided to us. That type of stuff has provided me um, a pathway in my own life and um, because someone else imagined it. The ability to imagine is among the many things that we're going to be asked to carry into the future. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. (laughs) Thank you. Great pleasure and honor to to get to see you. And I miss you guys. I wish I could hug you and and be hanging with you out there in hot Oklahoma or up there in Alaska. But for now, this will have to do. And I'm just so glad that I was able to have this conversation with you. And I will direct people towards your work um, in this podcast and a link your way and send people in your direction but in the meantime I send my love and my gratitude Uh 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 Uh